Good morning. It's my honor to welcome you here to the service. And uh, aren't you thankful that God has given us the freedom, the opportunity, and even just the ability to gather in this place? And we have so many that join us online uh, that would love to be here with us but just can't. But we've just been greatly blessed, and it is a privilege that we get to gather and worship today. So welcome to our service. Today, if you're visiting with us, we encourage you before you rush out, if you have questions about our service, please ask one of our members, see one of our staff. Uh, stop by our guest table in the lobby. You can pick up a bag that has a lot of information in it, uh, specifically a booklet that highlights all of our ministries. But we would love to know who you are and encourage you to fill out the guest card in your bulletin. Uh, but um, welcome to the service. And as we begin our service, just a couple quick announcements. Um, we want to remind everyone next Sunday we will be back on a normal Sunday evening schedule that starts at 5 o'clock. That will include an adult Bible study, uh, middle school, high school study, and Awana that will start back next week at 5 o'clock. For all those involved in Awana, that's age 3 to the 5th grade. If you've not filled out a registration form, it'll save a lot of time next week if you could do that. And there are some forms on the back table there before you go out the end of the hallway. I encourage you to pick up one of those and you can uh, either leave it back there or give it to Elizabeth in the uh, fellowship hall with our students uh, or give it to us. We'd love to, to have that and get ready for next Sunday. So I hope you'll be a part of that. And then also we want to say a special um, happy anniversary, the 30th anniversary to Joel and Lisa Hudler. So Lisa, where are you at, Lisa? I think she's there she is. Uh, Joel could not be here today, um, but we want to say happy anniversary and we want to thank you for the example that you guys set for our church family. But right now we're going to ask every yeah. And Joel wanted, to, wanted you to know happy anniversary from him. He's the best thing that ever happened to you. No, he, did, he didn't say that. No, he didn't. Joel would not say that. I'm going to ask everyone to stand and take just a minute and welcome your neighbor to the service.
come to this time of prayer, I have uh, three very important prayer requests I need to mention this morning. I want to encourage you, uh, if you're able to, to come to the altar here in just a moment and lift these families up in prayer. But Brian High, uh, who's been coming to this church for about two or three years, he was in a, a really, uh, really bad traffic accident, and he's in uh, ICU at Baptist uh, Hospital. So if you would, please remember Brian in prayer. Uh, remember his brother Bradley and Julia. They're probably there with the family this morning. So if you will remember them, uh, Brian's a, Brian desperately needs your prayers. Also, Ray Bruder, Ray and Penny are very faithful here at East Hills Baptist Church. I mentioned them last week. Uh, he has surgery planned for tomorrow. It's for a pump that connects to his heart. It's a very delicate surgery. Um, it's a very critical surgery that he has to have. It's about an 8 to 10 hour surgery. Uh, so if you will, uh, lift Ray and Penny up, their son and daughters in prayer if you would uh, for them tomorrow. And also continue to remember Cindy Lou and remember her donor. Uh, as uh, time comes closer for the, her to have her transplant, all right? As the praise team leads us in the song, if you will, meet me here at this altar, and then Justin's going to lead us during this prayer time. morning um, with many needs God across this altar I'm sure there are different needs um, and God I just pray that you would hear every prayer that's lifted during this time and Lord, we do want to mention a few by name we want to pray for Brian High God just pray for him and his recovery God for his boys uh, and his girlfriend as they await to see the progress God and Lord I just pray that you'd help him as he just begins to regain strength, God, and we just pray that you just touch his body and, and heal him, God. And um, Lord, for Ray Bruder and uh, his big surgery coming up tomorrow, Lord, I just pray that you would be with the doctors um, as they perform surgery on him tomorrow. And uh, just pray that you guide their hands, let them do some of their best work tomorrow um, for Ray. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, bring him through that surgery tomorrow in a great way. Lord, also uh, for Cindy Lou, God, you have um, showed yourself mighty thus far in her situation, and we uh, pray and continue that we pray that that would continue uh, to to go uh, as well as planned, God. And we just pray for her um, and Lord for her donor, God, that you keep them both healthy uh, until that transplant can take place, God. And uh, Lord, again, we just thank you so much for moving and working uh, in that situation. And Lord, as we um, get ready to to go into the message soon. Uh, dealing with marriage, God, from the youngest marriage to the oldest marriage, God, I pray that you would peel back pride this morning, and uh, Lord, that you would uh, just help us to submit to one another in marriage, God, because the church is only as good as the marriages that make it up, and um, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, encourage marriages this morning, strengthen marriages this morning, uh, restore marriages this morning, and um, Lord, we'll just thank you and praise you for what you'll do uh, in our marriages throughout the next few weeks, and um, Lord, again, just thank you for this time we have to, to come to you in prayer. And uh, Lord, we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
the choir goes down. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, the last three weeks we've talked about communion, we've talked about giving, we talked about church membership, and I would like to mention that if you're interested in church membership, if you will, please call the church office and let us know that, and uh, I can set up a meeting with you. You don't have to go through the new members class uh, if you were here last Sunday, but if you are interested in church membership, if you would like to uh, set up an appointment to meet with me, please just contact the church office and set that up with our secretary. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. If you'll stand with me, title of the message this morning is entitled, Without a Word. And if you remember, uh, for about, I guess for about 20 weeks, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the last part of chapter 2, we looked at uh, submission of people to the government and what that meant. We looked at how workers... Well, in Peter's day, they were called slaves, were to submit to their masters. And then we looked at how Jesus submitted to God's will. And then this morning, we're going to look at how wives, wives, look at me. You're supposed to submit to your husband. Isn't that a blessing? What a blessing that is. But in this context, now think about this. Uh, I've officiated, I don't know how many, how many uh, weddings in my life. I don't know that I've ever officiated a Christian woman and a non-Christian man. As a matter of fact, I will not marry you unless you're both Christians, okay? And I do not marry two non-Christians. I'm sure people have told me, not told me the truth, and I've had those weddings. But think about two Christians that are married. You have two families that come together. You have two cultures that come together. You have two different financial planes that come together. You have two different people that have two different needs and desires, and they come together, and marriage can be hard, can it? Now imagine, ladies, if you're a born-again Christian, now in Peter's day, most of the people, in, uh, if you read verse 1 of chapter 1, he talks about where this letter goes, right? Over 750,000 square miles across Turkey, okay? Now imagine none of those people were Christians till the gospel went there. So, the, so ladies are getting saved, and the men aren't, and then Peter writes six verses to them, okay? What do you do if you have an unsaved spouse? Or what can you do in your marriage if your spouse is not living like Christ-like? Notice what he says, ladies. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they will without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely... Now, he's not saying don't do this. He's saying just don't let this be the focus of your husband toward your life outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the inc incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we want to thank you for your word. And Father, as we look into this relationship between a husband and a wife, Father, I pray that as individuals we would not look at our spouse, but look at ourselves. Lord, that's the only way that a marriage can be healed is for us to work on ourselves. So Father, I pray that you would use your word today to touch hearts and to help um, lives. Father, if there are any spouses here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that before this service is over, Lord, that they would truly, intellectually, Lord, and spiritually commit themselves to you. And Lord, give themselves fully over to you. And Lord, I pray that you would save them 
for your honor and for your glory, and we'll thank you and praise you for what you do, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The main idea of this section, these six verses, is the best gospel testimony that a spouse can give is that of their holy behavior and not their eloquent debating skills. I love a good debate. I love it. I love to debate facts. I love to debate sports. I love to debate politics, sort of, not too much, because some of y'all get so excited about politics, but I love to debate spiritual things. I like talking to people that are not Christians. I like talking to agnostics. I love talking to atheists. I just love it. Now, imagine you're living in the same house with somebody, okay? And, and imagine in that culture where the man was dominant, so dominant, you don't even understand. I'm going to read to you how dominant the male was back in those days in a marriage relationship. How is this woman who loves Jesus and wants to see her husband know Jesus, how does she win this guy? Well, Peter gives us three steps, okay? The first step is this. He says the first step, ladies, would be this, is to submit. Now listen, notice what the verse says on the screen. He says, wives, look at the word likewise. That points back to our relationship to the government, our relationships in the workplace, and Jesus' relationship to the will of God. He says, wives, you also be submissive to your own husbands. Now, one scholar put it this way. Peter does not require women to be subordinate to men in general, but to their husbands as a function of order within the home. A wife is to accept her place in the family under the leadership of her husband, whom God has placed as head in the home. Now listen to this. That word submit means to submit oneself, to subordinate oneself. It can sometimes mean to obey, to place oneself under, to put oneself under orders, to align oneself under the authority of another. That goes against pride, doesn't it? This is God's will for marriage. Be careful whom you marry. And all of God's people said, amen. Now, ladies, let me ask you this. If you're in a dating relationship, would you be willing to submit to that person? If not, why would you marry him? You might want to think long and hard about introducing yourself to, to a marriage if that's the case. That word for submit, if you'll notice in the Greek, was used as a military term to describe soldiers submitting to their superior. The word has the idea of giving up one's own right or will. This opening adverb translated in the same way or likewise means that the citizen and the employee and the wife and even the Lord submit with the same sacred motive and the same sacred perspective. But, submissive, but submission is not based upon the belief that women are inferior morally or intellectually, emotionally or spiritually. Submission is not blind obedience where the wife becomes a doormat for the man to walk over, where she isn't allowed to make any decisions or suggestions or exercise any management responsibilities. Biblical submission is not the basis for subjugation or verbal or physical abuse. Warren Rearsby put it the best. He said, headship is not dictatorship, but the loving exercise of divine authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ because men are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Men, you're supposed to love your, your wife more than you love your own body, the Bible says. So the idea is, and what Peter's trying to say, is that not that you obey you know, the church is to submit to the government, we don't, but we don't obey the government. That means I'm persuaded to follow this rule or this thing. If it goes against the Constitution or against the Bible, you don't have to do that. So what that says is, what Peter's saying in this case is, in, in the case of a, a lady marrying a lost person is, as best you can, submit. Now, I want you to understand their context, okay? Their context is nothing like ours. Their culture is nothing like ours. Now, listen to this. 
In every sphere of ancient civil, civilization, women had no rights at all. You know, people talk about the church hurting women. The church has done nothing but elevate women. Absolutely nothing. It, unless, people do not understand history. I'm amazed. Can you read a book? Women were, listen to this, in every sphere of ancient civilization, women had no rights at all. None. Listen, in Jewish law, a woman was a thing. Isn't that a blessing? A woman was a thing. She was owned by her husband in exactly the same way as he owned his sheep and his goats. On no account could she leave him, although he, he could dismiss her at any moment. For a wife to change her religion in those cultures, not just Jewish culture, but even Roman culture, while her husband did not was unthinkable. So think about this lady who's getting married, because she she's married, she hears the gospel, she gets saved, and then her husband says, no, you're not. That's a tough culture to live in. Now think about this. Back in those days in Greek civilization, the duty of the woman was to remain indoors and be obedient to her husband. Under Roman law, a woman had no rights. In law, she remained forever a child. When she was under her father, she was under the father's power, they called it, which gave the father the right even of life and death over her. And when she married, she passed equally into the power of her husband. She was entirely subject to her husband and completely at his mercy. So when women see that word submit in this culture, they're like, here we go again. But that's not what Paul means at all, what Peter means at all. He's meaning as best you can, live as peaceably as you can in your home. Don't do anything unethical, unchristlike, ungodly. They don't mean you're obeying everything somebody tells you. But he's saying in this culture, in this culture, as best you can, because there's a goal in mind here. The Roman uh, writer Cato wrote, if you were to catch your wife in an act of infidelity, you can kill her with impunity and without trial. That was the culture they lived in. What a contrast with Christianity, which commands husbands to love their wives unconditionally. This is what Paul and Peter both said to husbands back in those days. You're to be the provider for your wife. You're to work even if she can't work. Matter of fact, most women were, were home, homemakers back then. You're to be her protector, which was really, really kind of unusual back in those days. Unless you're a really good person, you did not protect your wife. As a matter of fact, in Middle Eastern countries now, okay, I've shared this with you before, where they've had war and they've used landmines, you'll always see the women walking out in front of the men because they're testing out the minefield. Isn't that not a blessing? Anybody want to be married to that dude? I don't think you do, okay? So think about that for a moment. And he also was supposed to be the prophet. Christianity changed everything for women. You're to love your wives more than your own body. You're to love her like Christ does the church. But here, these women are married to men, notice, who do not obey the word. Look at that phrase. That means he's unpersuaded. It not only means he's unpersuaded, he will not allow himself to be persuaded. That Greek word there means not to allow oneself to be persuaded, not to comply with. It literally describes one who refuses to be persuaded and who disbelieves willfully and perversely. It's in the present tense, which indicates that his lifestyle, the way he carries out his life, is in continual disobedience against God. It speaks of a stubborn, stiff-necked attitude. Now, I've, I've had the opportunity to minister to many people on their deathbed. Sometimes in their home, sometimes in hospice, sometimes in, in an emergency room setting, sometimes I see you. And I remember going to a guy's home one time, and he was known to be a non-Christian. And I remember walking into his room, and his wife left, and he was a tough guy. And I said this, I said, you've heard the gospel, I've shared it with you, you've been in church, you've just never been saved. 
And I said, they say you could die today. And I, I shared the gospel, and I said, would you give your life to Christ? He said, you couldn't make me. You know, you couldn't make me. And it wasn't an hour later, this guy died. That's what that word means. That you're living with somebody, they're like, no, I don't believe it. I don't want to believe it. I will not believe it. You can tell me all you want to. What do you do? What do you do if you continually share the gospel and these people continually say no? They say no. 1 Corinthians 7, 13, Paul says this to the church at Corinth, which had the same problem. A woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? This is what Paul says. He's, Paul says, give it a chance. Don't you realize your husbands might be saved? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? So what do you do if you live with an unspiritual or an unsaved spouse? Listen to these stats, men, and I've read this before. The typical U.S. congregation draws an adult crowd of about 61% female and 39% male, and this shows up in all age categories. On any given Sunday, there are 13 million more adult women than men in America's churches. This Sunday, almost 25% of married church-going women will worship without their husbands. Midweek activities often draw 70 to 80% female participants. Over 70% of the boys who are being raised in church will abandon it during their teens and 20s. Many of these boys will never return because they've never seen a male Christian figure in your life. What if you are married to an unsaved spouse? God's biblical order then is submission first. And then the second thing is this. It's going to be hard for some of you ladies. It's hard for me. Silence. Look. Just try it. Just try it. Listen, think about this. He doesn't tell her to preach to her husband because she already has at every opportunity. See, that was a hard lesson for me to learn in secular work because I, was, I felt like I was the missionary to everybody. I didn't care if you wanted to hear me. It didn't matter. I came up and told you the gospel, told you you would probably go into hell today. I used, if you die in a car wreck on the way home, you will not go to heaven. And I did that all the time. And then finally, it's like the Holy Spirit said, will you just be quiet? <laughs> I said, yeah, you got it. I'm not going to say another word to you. I have family members that used to hate to see me coming. Every Christmas present was like a Bible or something. I had the worst presents, right? Hey, you want this Gaither Vocal Band DVD? That's the terrible one to give them, by the way. And they're lost, right? And then you know what I did? I just quit talking. Quit talking. And tried to do a little more walking, right? And what Peter is saying here, notice on the screen... He says, wives likewise, be submissive. Now, ladies, understand this. This means as best you can, right? He, he's, not over, he don't, he's not a dictator in your life. To your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they're unpersuaded. They're like, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And that's okay, by the way. Your job is not to save people. Your job is to share the gospel. He says, without a word, look at that, three words. They may be one. Isn't that amazing? If we just don't say anything, now that's hard, for, that's hard for you ladies. You know why? Here's why I'm going to tell you why. The average person speaks close to 700 times a day. That's men and women. We average about 700 times we open our mouth and speak, right? And if you go to Walmart, it's about 1,200, right? You're speaking about 700 times a day. Now, out of those 700 times a day, women speak 20,000 words and men speak 7,000 words. Women, y'all like talking, don't you? 
Have you ever texted a woman? I don't, how do you do it? How do you send a text like that? And then my response is always, okay. That's my, always my, my response. I can't text a book, right? Because women are more built to talk. Listen, many of our greatest memories are built around words, right? Think about this. Now, this is in context. Many of our greatest memories are built around words. You know, and I had an opportunity to speak to the, uh, the, the teachers at the high school. I mentioned people whose words made an impact in my life. School teachers. I still remember some of the conversations I had. It was a dramatic, good thing in my life. Uh, ball, ball coaches, I remember them all. I mean, they were great. I remember words that they would say. I remember my grandfather, who's the best man in my wedding, the words he said on my wedding day, I'll never forget it. Now listen, isn't that great to build a good memory around words? But also most of our most painful memories include what? Words. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Solomon says this about words. He says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Remember that in your marriage. Reckless words. You get mad, you start saying things. Isn't that awful? I'm the world's worst too. You get mad and you get reckless and you say things. I, 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 this has been my motto in life because I've, I've just been around so many people. Don't ever... Uh, Take too closely what a drunk tells you or a mad person. Because most of the time they're just running their mouth, right? Give it a few days and they'll apologize more than likely. But in the heat of the moment in a marriage, reckless words, it can be worse than a sword, he said. But wise words bring healing. You just have to decide which one you're going to use and how you're going to use them. David said this. He said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. And all of God's people said, Amen. Think about this, for the next seven days, only speak words of encouragement to your spouse, children, and coworkers. Stephen Cole said this, we all know this verse, nothing will drive a man further from the Lord than a nagging wife. That's what Peter's talking about. Solomon said it 3,000 years ago, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious, nagging woman. You know what that means? That means doghouse, garage, golf course, boat he'll just be there he'll just be there and i'm not saying if he does that that you're nagging him but solomon goes on to say this a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky faucet just dripping right just dripping peter's saying it's better just not to say anything because what you can do is drive this person further away and stephen cole says this nagging will drive your husband crazy but it won't drive him to christ it won't Men, and the same applies to men. Let your witness, he says, be without words. You could render it without talking, without arguing, because no one has ever been argued into the kingdom. Peter doesn't say they won't be one without the word, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But he's, what he's saying is this, you don't have to speak it every day. One author uh, nearly 100 years ago wrote on this text, and he said, to persist in talking to someone who does not want to listen only hardens them more. Listen to me, evangelist at work. Just stop talking. That was me. I would just bug you about every day. If the first words that come out of your mouth after you've already witnessed somebody is witnessing to them again, talk about football or something. Okay? Just do something. Just, just stop. He goes on to say this. He says, To persist in talking to someone who does not want to listen only hardens them more, but those whose hearts are hardened against preaching may be softened by behavior. Isn't that true? It's what Peter's talking about. I heard about this couple. Uh, they were an older... Well, they were married for a long time, and as they got older, the wife got sick, 
And the wife had this box that she always kept. And the husband respected her so much, he said, I'm not going to open the box. But she was so sick, he said, hey, honey, they're saying you may not live a lot longer. Can I see what's in the box? Because she started on her wedding day, and she said, yeah. They opened the box, and inside were two pairs of crocheted mittens, along with a stack of $5 bills that totaled $45,000. What a, what a person who would invest. The older man was astonished, and the woman told her husband that the day before they were married, her grandmother told her that if she and her husband were ever to get into an argument with one another, they should work hard to reconcile. But if her husband was unwilling to apologize about his part, she was to keep her mouth shut and crochet a pair of mittens. It's really smart, isn't it? The man was touched by this because there were only two sets of mittens in the box. Sixty years, he thought, and only two times I've been stubbornly unwilling to yield. He was almost moved to tears. Then he asked her about the stacks of money, and his wife said this, Well, every time I crocheted a pair of mittens, I sold them for $5. So it wasn't as good as he thought. Then the final thing is this, supernatural beauty. Now listen, ladies this, and men, this is, this is the most important part about you. Typically when people get married, they marry for looks. They don't marry for the person. But you're marrying the person. Okay, You're going to live in a house with another person. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you, when you went to college, if you moved off and had a roommate, how many of you stayed all four years with that person? I know so many people that get upset. Archie ain't even been to college yet. But anyway, I've, I've saw people that will get upset with their roommates, and they're like, oh, we just can't get along. I thought we were best friends. Well, imagine being married. You know, you know what you're going to look at? You're not going to look at looks. You're going to look at that person. What type of person am I married to? What type of person am I living in the house with? And that's what some people have such a hard time. Notice what Peter says is real beauty. He said he may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe. That's, that word's only used here, I think. It's called to be a spectator. Like the, the husband is really watching that lady when he observes your chaste. Look at that word. That's, that's the word that means, it means immoral, but it also means pure. It gives the idea that if we were taking this to the temple, right, this, this little podium right here, into the temple in, in Israel. To you in Jerusalem to use, it had to be purified. And then it would be pure and set apart. That's what that word is. It says it may, he be, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they, had, when they observed their chaste life. It's the same word used in Psalm 12, which says this, the word of the Lord is pure as silver tried in a furnace on earth refined seven times. Solomon said this in Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous wife that's pure wife? If you do, her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. That's a supernaturally beautiful woman there. Then look what else. He said, in your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And that just means that she shows respect. This respectful behavior toward him is going to be perhaps the most convicting testimony to him more than anything else. Ladies, do you respect your husband? When you look at the top five needs of a woman and the top five needs of a man, okay, they're totally opposite, all right? And for a man, it's, everybody thinks it's always intimacy. And it's up there probably seven or eight times. But anyway, you know what else is there right at the number one? Respect. Do you respect me? Ladies, let me ask you a question. If your husband pays the bills, do you respect that? If so, do you tell him? If your husband has worked your whole marriage and has ever let you stay at home, do you respect that? Oh, you should. Do you respect him? Does he come to church? 
You should because only 39% of married men come to church. You should respect that and not take it for granted. See, in a lot of marriages, we're so used to something happening, we just take it for granted. And basically what Peter says is this, show your husband respect when respect is due. Amen? We should. We should give honor when honor's due. That's a real easy thing. Respect goes a long way. Listen, this respectful behavior toward him is going to be perhaps the most convicting testimony to him more than anything else, simply because he'll know in his heart that it is his wife who deserves such loyal respect and not him nearly as much. Chuck Swindoll says this, This is the lifestyle of a wife who with selfless cooperation and devotion to her husband becomes a wife who is impossible to ignore because she has a beautiful spirit. No, notice the next verse. He says this, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. That's who you married. Or that's who you're going to be married with. That's who you're going to be married with when 20, 30, or 40 years go to pass. That's who you're going to be in love with. Not their hair, not their dentures, not their whatevers, okay, because we're all headed that way. But you're going to be uh, in love with that hidden person of the heart, that soul of that person. And what Peter calls that is incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Isn't that amazing? Okay? Isn't that amazing how Peter, who's a fisherman, tried to cut a guy's head off with a sword, is now talking about marriage. Isn't it amazing what Jesus can do for somebody? Listen, Jesus can do that for you too. And he can do it for your marriage as well. Are, are you here today and have you been not obeying the word? Every invitation time, your heart is stubborn, your neck is stiff-necked toward God. I would encourage you today to give your life to Jesus. The Bible says this, church, the wages of sin is death. There's not hardly a week it goes by in this county when there's not a death, unexpected, tragic death. Heart attack, car wreck, you name it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Choose death or choose life today. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? See, it's an intellectual thing where you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. You have to believe that, okay? So it is intellectual, but it's also I give my life to him. Where I, 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 today is spiritual too. I trust him. Notice that in, incorruptible beauty, the hidden person of the heart. That's what you give to Jesus. That's what you give to him. You give that to him and you place your faith and trust in him. And you, and you cling to him. That's why the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to ask your musicians to come, and if you'll just stand with me for just a moment. As Peter was writing, he was talking to uh, married couples where one or the other was lost, for especially the man here. But the goal for all our family members is salvation, and I'm going to think, ask you to think about this for a moment. If you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes. Think about a family member that's a part of your family tree who is lost and would you lift them up in prayer right now? I want to lift up all the wives. Some of you are widows. Would you lift them up in prayer right now? Think about the wives who have been treated wrongly. Would you lift them up right now? And ladies, would you make a commitment to pursue inner beauty? That's just putting Jesus first in your life. And then finally, are you a Christian today? If not, you can be. And after I pray, this altar will be open. If you need to respond to this invitation, I would encourage you to respond. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, we all fall short. We all fall short. But Lord, we all can make a commitment to do better. And Lord, I pray that today, many couples in this auditorium would make a commitment to do better. To love more, to have a, a better inner soul and inner person. And Father, we lift up our family members. Lord, I still have family members who have not placed their faith in you. They're disobedient to the word, just like you wrote here. They're just disobedient to it. And Lord, I pray that you would soften their hardened hearts, put people in their lives, Lord, who can, who can win them by their conduct and not just their words. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do for us. And Lord, bless in this invitation time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in a song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. for being here today. If you have a spouse who does not know the Lord and you'd love for me to talk to them sometime, please, please contact the church office. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, please contact myself, Kevin or Justin. We'd love to talk with you about that. Hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. God bless you and hope to see you back here Wednesday. Thank you.